survival guide. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Hello. Welcome to episode two of the Survival Guide podcast. Yay. How are you, love? Oh, look, Melissa. Yeah. Mm. I'm damned if I'm good and I'm damned if I'm not good <laughs> at this point. Um, she's been an interesting week for me. Yeah. Um, okay, well, we could probably just like very quickly segue to how did you survive the week? Sure. I mean, uh, you're all good then. You're, you're... Oh, yeah, I'm chill. <laughs> we could <laughs> do you first. <laughs> we, could, we could do me first because you know what? My week has been pretty meh. Just trucking, just, just trucking along. Okay. Um, the week was actually really busy at work, but um, that's good. I was like hella stressed, that's just kind so of um, <laughs> running around like a headless chicken, um, trying to get files and documents to court and stuff. But yeah. um, yeah. how I survived the week mm-hmm. was having great colleagues. Actually, Jeez, yeah, like wonderful. I have um, a bunch of five other law graduates um and like they're such a great support network so like yeah like brother brother shout out to anna who messaged me at three o'clock being like i've made hot chocolate for you i love that and like just like rig chickens being like hey how are you girl do you need anything do you need a chat do you need chocolate oh my god people like that just angels yeah absolute gem and i was just like thank, thank you, you anna so much. oh my gosh looking out for the homies yeah anna, love you you're great yeah so that was how i survived that week oh, that's really cool yeah. um how did i survive the week i was just telling melissa prior to this that i had like a really good section for it but I, i'll give like a brief overview um she's been just like a pretty sad up and down week um, for various reasons, and I have surrounded myself with good people, um, I've been, like, reaching out and making, like, friends a priority again, and that's been really cool, like, as I said in the last episode, your friends, like, surprise you sometimes, like, yeah, yeah. they just, that those little things that is, like, above and beyond, kind of like what Anna does, yeah. and you're just like, wow, you just so appreciate these Aww. things, like... And so that was really awesome. And um, also, I've just been looking at planning some cool things for me. I want to Olivia-fy my life again. Like, yeah. do things that okay. I really love that I've sort of put on the back burner. Yeah. Such as, like, I love getting my hair done. It just makes me feel amazing. And so oh, I'm going to yes. book myself in just to get, like... Treat yourself. Yeah, I also bought myself some new bedspread. Yes. Um, and this great color that I wanted, and I also bought myself a new lamp, because Ooh. I haven't had a table lamp in, like, over two <laughs> years, and it's so annoying, but I'm just, like, not the kind of person who would prioritize buying a table lamp over, over. a new wardrobe. <laughs> you know I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, You're like, how badly do I need this? Exactly. Yeah. Yes, like, I can survive, mm. but no, Turns I'm out... Like, it's really nice. <laughs> it's really nice having a table lamp. So that was great. Um, but my thing that was like yeah. actual survival stuff. So mm. um, I 
went into work on the Wednesday. I took Monday, Tuesday off, went into work on Wednesday. No, Thursday, sorry. And I had CPR defibrillator training. Whoa. Have you ever... No, I haven't I haven't done it. <sighs> they work asked me if I could be a first aid person. Oh, have you done a first aid course? No. They oh. were like they were <laughs> do like you do you want to do, do the course right, and yeah, be the first okay. aid person? And I was like, I get squeamish with blood, I panic, like no, I'm not the correct person. I am exactly the same. I do not I do not bode well with like medical yeah. <laughs> issues. I'm like, oh my <laughs> god. I'd be like, ah, you're gonna die, that's it. <laughs> yeah. Um there was like a situation where um, just at the flat where one of the flatmates cut their no. finger or like oh. just the knife just like slice right in yeah and they were like oh can you maybe just like get me you know a couple of things like, to clean it and stuff essentially like Olivia can you get the first aid kit yeah and I was just so like and I ended up having to run and I just went and hid in the bathroom <laughs> and my other flatmate had to be like I've got this covered, like, you sit down. And so I was like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I just panicked. But um, when the CPR defibrillator thing came up, I was like, yeah. yes, cool, because I myself have had some heart problems. Oh, and shit. So, yeah, so I was like, maybe, you know, this could be could good. Be handy. And I think the unknown as well, if I was ever in a situation where somebody needed CPR or needed a defibrillator, it scares me more that I wouldn't know what to do. And they say, like, any action is better than no action. Right, okay. Even if you did CPR and it was, like, the wrong way to do CPR, it's it's better than doing nothing because you're trying something to keep this person alive. So um, it was really interesting. But, oh, my God, I felt like I was going to pass out on several occasions (laughs) because it's the stuff that you talk about. Of course, they talk about how you're trying to squash squash the heart when you do the pump because you're trying to manually like push the like blood and the oxygen through the heart and of course they're like yeah you're gonna break some ribs maybe that's fine and I'm there just like like, I was sweating I genuinely was like oh wow this is is it hot in here you guys (laughs) do you know and um first comment before I tell you all about the CPR defibrillator stuff is it was only women that volunteered to come and do this training which I was pretty like come on guys interesting get defibrillator wise this shit come on yeah so I was like go women I I know who I want to surround myself with if I'm ever in In trouble yeah um but the first thing that I discovered is there is a difference between a heart attack Mm. and cardiac arrest so I always thought like oh you have a heart attack you die that's actually not the case which I learned so you can have a heart attack and then you will go into cardiac arrest. So we had to watch this oh. video, which was a guy on Bondi Beach having a heart attack. And then he goes into cardiac arrest and they use CPR and a defibrillator to like bring him back to life. Yeah. Thank gosh. But they yeah showed this video to be like, here's it in action. But oh my God. So Was there like a... Could you see the difference between the two? Yes, yeah. Oh. So um, I was, yeah, okay. it was all stuff I just had no idea about. So essentially this guy has a heart attack when yeah. he's out in the water. And yeah. he's like a big guy, like a yeah. li- little bit like chunky. Um, So he has a heart attack. I'm not sure because it kind of 
the video starts with him on the beach. Mm. So I don't know if the lifeguards pull him in or if he gets himself back to yeah. the sand. But he's yeah. essentially like there. He's back on shore. He's back on shore and he's lying down on this front and he's still talking. So they oh. are... Yes, I know. I was like, oh, I thought he's had a heart attack. He's... That's it. He's... Yeah. You know, his heart stopped. But no, he's like there. And apparently... Have you ever had cramp? Like in your... I've had Like calves or yeah. in your... Yeah. Not like... You yeah, yeah, like a cramping okay, yeah. muscle. Yeah, yeah. So apparently that it's that cramping sensation, but in your chest. Oh. So he was experiencing this, like, very, very painful, uncomfortable chest cramping. Um, he, But he was still verbal. He was still able to communicate with the lifeguards, like, yeah, I feel I feel really bad. I feel, I feel sick. Yeah, like, yeah. He's just, like, in a lot of pain. And they say, okay, well, we're going to have to turn you over. So we can put the defibrillator on because they say when in doubt, get the defib the defibrillator. Oh my gosh, where the defibrillator defibrillator on just yeah. in case. So I also learned that the defibrillator um it won't shock unless it detects a specific kind of abnormality. So ah. it detects a specific, I suppose, lack of like consistency in a heartbeat yeah. yeah and it won't shock you if it doesn't detect that thing so okay, most so you different... can just put it on yeah you can it's like apparently super safe like you could yeah. put it on yourself and it wouldn't do like anything it's chill. and okay. turn it on it just wouldn't do anything yeah um so they put this defibrillator on so you put one pad just above the nipple kind mm-hmm. of on the right hand side yeah okay so one pad here and then one pad under the left armpit kind of like around by the the today yeah the side boob area so um that is registering the top heart valve and the bottom one so the heart works like boom boom and they work in sync okay so um yes when you have a heart attack don't quote me on this but i'm pretty (laughs) sure if i remember right when you have a heart attack like these pumps just kind of they start like not Going yeah, the, how the, they should. That el- electro mm-hmm. muscle movement that they do. Because okay. they operate on that, like... It's like a bit of a pattern. Yes. Kind of like a machine where you go boom, boom. But, like, it, your heart does it naturally. Yeah, Because yeah. it follows this rhythm. Um, so it, they these start to skits out. And that's yeah. kind of what causes, like, the uh, okay. feeling. Um, and so, yeah, you see this guy having having this heart attack and but he's still able to speak and blah 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 so they turn him over so he's like lying on his back they've got the defibrillator on him um and then this guy starts saying like oh i feel i feel like i'm going i feel like i'm fainting and they're like okay you you uh, yep you feel like you're gonna faint and he's like yeah i feel so sick i feel so sick and then and then he goes into cardiac arrest so you like right. literally watch this yep. happen so cardiac arrest is when um as, yeah, his his there's just like not enough like oxygen, nothing. and so he kind of he faints. Yeah, um, goes into some sort of like coma, and heart is like going Freaking through cardiac arrest. Yeah. Like yeah, it's just stop beating, and that's when they start CPR. Uh, so this, but the defibrillator machine. Yeah. Um, they are really smart, and that once you've got those pads on and it's on, it's constantly monitoring what's happening, and so mm. it will tell ta- it starts talking to you, oh. and it says like. Um, I think it says, uh, like, such and such detected, stand clear of the patient. And that is where you see in, like, American movies, they go, They're clear! Like, 
Boof. Yeah, yeah. like clear. Like you need to yeah. get like yeah. get away from the person essentially yeah. because this defibrillator needs to like if you so say you were having you were going into cardiac yeah. arrest and I was like oh my god Melissa and I'm holding you the defibrillator might pick up my heartbeat and so not right. so they're like okay. everyone needs to just get like, away from get the away, patient don't, don't touch. yeah don't touch yeah. anything you could because you could affect it so. Um, uh, yeah, so the, the machine is like, yep, stand clear of the patient, so everybody moves away. And um, it's like, like uh, initiating shock, like, and three, two, one, boom, Oof. and the body kind of goes, boof. And then it's like, start CPR. And so, it and it gives you a metronome beat for what you're, uh, so it's really, really smart. Yeah. So it'll tell, you just like, essentially go for it. And yeah. like, this poor per, I just, the thought of having a body under you, like, yeah, doing the flop around because you're pushing so hard, and they say like push to push as, so hard. Literally, they're like, you need to push as hard as you can. And if you're like you and I, who are more slighter in frame, so we're not these like big dudes who could just like boom, boom, do, boom. Do, do, do. We apparently we should lock our arms and just like, and throw our body yeah. weight down okay. to try and like squish Jeez. the heart essentially. Yeah, I know. So aggressive. I know, it's so aggressive. So they do the CPR, and of course it's super tiring doing CPR, so they just keep swapping out. So you do like Shit. the 30 the thirty pulses, like the yeah. 30 presses, and then you do two blows into the airway. You're essentially just trying to force oxygen into, into yeah. the system. Yeah. Um, and then it, I think it gives you two minutes on the, the defibrillator. Yeah. And then it goes, it, it'll like register again if the... the the yeah. rhythm is still not right and yeah. it'll go stand clear of the patient and so that's when they stop and, and it'll do so it again. that's when it's okay yes and so they were able to bring this guy back from cardiac arrest because like f- apparently five minutes in cardiac arrest and it's Fuck. the likelihood of you survival yeah of survival becomes like almost zero Jeez. so they were able to like bring him back and it was just like so overwhelming watching it's this so i'm like slow. Yes, and so we had to learn on, like, the classic, those body, random body things that they use in those oh, yeah, first yeah. aid training. Oh, dummies, yeah. And also, like, the child one and the baby one, and it's just like, yeah. oh, Apparently gosh. it's, like, less... Yeah, so, um, with, with like, a, say, an eight-year-old child, yeah. um, you just use one hand, and right. you, like, push, and you can also put the... You can put the defibrillator on a child and a baby, apparently it's safe. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I think they, as they say, they're like, when in doubt, put it on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's better to like have it monitoring the baby. Exactly. As well. yeah. Um, and with a baby, you're meant. Well, you can use like the. You might see the two fingers, mm. but this guy was saying he likes to use his thumb because he. But yeah, and you're just meant to push like right Jeez. between the nipples on a on oh a baby. Oh my god! I know, I know, no. I know, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Cray, cray. But yeah, and so there you go. Okay. Some survival well, can tips. Can I just say, yeah, the movies with this, very misleading. Very misleading. Yeah. Yeah. Those like shocker things. Yeah, like... doctors must get so pissed off. Oh, yeah, I'm Just sure watching. Yes. <laughs> like when I watch law movies, I'm like, no, 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 no. God. Yeah. My understanding of... The medical profession. Yeah. Um, and how to save a life is, is very inaccurate. Yeah, I think so. Shit. Well, what a great skill to learn. Yes. So all I can say, people, is know where the defibrillator is around you because you never know, 
like if you've got elderly people who work mm. around you or kind of maybe slightly overweight people but like anyone can suffer from a heart attack oh yeah like apparently you can have chill heart attacks yeah but it's just like you need to be like if, if you yeah. think somebody is showing signs of a heart attack you need to like um, get help yeah it's literally like just get it ready just in case because yeah. you just never know yeah um and one last point i will make is often they describe symptoms of a heart attack towards how men experience a heart attack because apparently men are more likely to suffer from heart attacks so um they talk about you'll get like chest pain and whatnot but because i think women have like a slighter frame they often experience back pain instead of chest pain like upper back pain and so women won't be like oh well i am having no chest pain but they might be having like shoulder and back pain. Yeah, yeah. And so it's like just just knowing just like, like the around. signs. And, okay. And if, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so, I was with my uncle when he had a heart attack. Oh my god! And he was just like, he said it was like shoulder pains. Yes. Yeah. And he he was like, no, I'm fine. Like, I, it just, it's just really sore and crampy. And he just wanted to go home and sleep it off. Yes. Because he was like, I'm sure it's fine. It just really hurts. And I was like, no bueno. <laughs> We're going to the hospital. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Shoot. Well, that's because from your heart, apparently the two main arteries that come into the heart yeah. go up like this over oh. your collarbones. And so that's why people experience yeah. shoulder pain because okay. those arteries are just skitzing out and it's very painful. So, yeah. So look after yourself, <clears throat> kiddos. Do, do the trainings if they okay. are offered... Because yeah. you never know how to save a life. Until you take one of the courses. Until you take one of these courses. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely better to know, in my opinion. Yeah. It's, like, the unknown is so so much scarier. Yeah. I just... Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yes. All right. Well, what a week. <laughs> I know. Okay, well, speaking of... Um, survival stuff <laughs> shall we oh you mean for the survival podcast that we're <laughs> what um shall we truckle truckle let's truckle on shall we truck along um to the story today okay there's it's, so much to learn it's recent okay and pretty well known um So here we go. It was a Saturday, June 23rd, 2018. Oh, yes, recent. In the Chiang Rai province in northern Thailand, a team of 12 boys called the Wild Boars, aged 11 to 16, and their assistant soccer coach, aged 25, called Coach Ek, had just finished their soccer practice. Little did they know, their lives would change forever. Oh my gosh. This is the story of the Thai cave rescue. Oh my gosh, I think I heard about this in the news. Okay. The summer sky was still thick with golden light when soccer practice ended and it was still early. They had a bit of time before they had to go home. So they wanted to explore a cave they had been inside before. But this time they wanted to go further in to write their names on the wall as part of an initiation. So they raced through to the mouth of the cave on their bicycles, stashing their bikes and bags at the entrance. 
With high spirits, they clambered into the cave with just their torches. They didn't need much else. After all, they were only planning to be in there for an hour. Oh, God. (laughs) And so, yes, this fun initiation activity turned for the worst. The cave they had entered is called the the Tham Luang Cave, one of Thailand's longest caves. It stands 10 kilometers long and has many deep recesses, narrow passages and tunnels winding under hundreds of meters of limestone. 10 kilometers. Yeah. So since part of the cave system is seasonally flooded, uh, there was a sign advertising against entering the caves during the rainy season, which was July to November. And this was posted at the entrance of the cave. But they had no difficulty getting in the cave and expected no difficulty getting back out. After all, it was June 23rd and heavy monsoon rains weren't expected for another week or so. And the year before, the cave hadn't begun to flood until the middle of July. Right. Yeah. So they went in being like, no worries. There won't be flooding. We're just in and out. It'll be fun. I think that's crazy. Like, if I mean, I've never been in a place where you have like a monsoon season, but I would imagine that like if it's even like anywhere close to that time, you just you just like, you'd assume. Well, I mean, we can't assume, but like you'd predict that like you just got to be erring on the side of caution around yeah. it. Wow. Okay. Yep. 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 Yeah. So, the team started exploring the cave, and heavy rain started to fall suddenly. But how could they know this had happened with thousands of metres of rock above them? Oh, Jesus. So they couldn't even hear They had no idea. Oh, wow. (laughs) Nevertheless, water fell and gathered into streams, which gathered and disappeared into sinks, which eventually rushed down through the limestone and into the voids below. The water rose suddenly and quickly with great volume. So at first, Coach Eck tried to swim out to see if there was any chance for them to escape, but was forced to turn back. This flash flood forced the boys to push deeper into the cave, eventually making their way to an elevated platform four kilometers into the cave system. Oh no. With the flooding of water filling the twisted cave system, the boys were trapped. They waited first for minutes. But the water didn't recede, so they waited for hours because there was nothing else to do. So when the boys didn't return to their homes that night, the parents began to worry. Uh, They made phone calls and sent text messages um, to the head coach and to other parents um, until the coach reached one of the boys who didn't go into the cave after practice. Um, And that boy said, oh yeah, they... um, I think they talked about going to the cave um, for a visit. So the coach and the parents went to the cave and found bicycles at the mouth. um, And all the stuff, the backpack. And all the stuff with impassable water inside the cave. So they knew the soccer team was trapped in the cave, but no one knew where exactly and no one knew how to get them out. So back inside the cave with the boys, uh, realizing they were trapped, the boys didn't just sit and wait. Uh, They took turns digging a hole 
nearly five meters long into the cave wall, thinking they could maybe dig themselves out. Oh, God. Which I think is kind of crazy if you think about the fact that this cave is made of limestone. Like, how how are you going to dig out of this freaking cave? I don't, like... I obviously, like, know vaguely what limestone is, but, like, is... I'm just going to Google quickly, like, is limestone... I mean, it's it's not very hard. I mean, not very soft, is it? I don't... I wouldn't predict so. Hmm. I don't know what band My internet's not working for some reason. Um, okay, it's just okay, telling me what I mean, it's made of, but like <laughs> mineral composition. Yeah. Um, um, no, yeah, I think that was like a pretty ambitious uh, yeah. feat to be like, we'll just dig ourselves we'll just out. Dig out. But oh, like, dear. I mean, okay. I guess they were just probably so scared and like desperate. So I can imagine. Yeah. Like, yeah, we'll do that. Okay, right. Um, they had no food or water with them. Um, instead, they began licking the condensed waters on the sides of the cave walls and relied on dripping stalactites to drip into their mouths oh. to feed, well, to, yeah, for water. Yeah. Um, but they had no food at all. Um, outside the cave, as for the rescue efforts, um, there happened to be a British diver who had extensive knowledge of the cave uh, named Vernon Unsworth, who lived an hour south of the cave so as it happened vernon actually had his gear ready to explore the cave the very next day oh wow as he wanted to have a look around and check for water levels um so that's hella lucky uh one of the local authorities who knew vernon called him and he immediately went to the cave in the middle of the night um and because of his expertise he understood two critical things at this point one the cave is enormous and time was precious. So locating the team was the most important thing. Uh, there was a junction about two kilometers into the cave, which meant the team could have been in two areas. One path leads to an area that often remains flooded and even in the dry season. Uh, so the team must have gone to the other side. And the second critical thing was that the divers were essential in the rescue. And not just ordinary divers or Thai seals, for that matter, but sufficiently skilled and experienced cave divers were necessary. Vernon knew of divers who were qualified and gave the authorities three names. Rick Stanton, John Valanthan and Robert Harper, all who worked with the Volunteer British Cave Rescue Council. Um... All three divers were notified immediately and rushed to Thailand. Um, and they were at the cave by 7.30pm on Wednesday. Um, keeping in mind that they first entered the cave on a Saturday. Oh my goodness. So it's already been days when they finally got there. When those divers got there, yeah. Wow. Oh, goodness. So um, from that Saturday, the rain had mostly held off on the Sunday. Thank God. But it fell hard on Monday and Tuesday. Um, yet there was the absence of panic inside the cave and there was actually a conservation of energy. Coach Eck had been a practicing monk for 10 years and had learned how to meditate. So he taught the boys to breathe slowly and pur pur purposefully to clear their minds 
to remove themselves mentally and emotionally. Um, and all from a muddy slope elevated above the water, four kilometers in the cave. So they just kind of had to sit there, um, like sitting ducks, literally. Um, outside the cave, rescuers and volunteers arrived, um, continued to arrive, and hundreds of them, as the rescue efforts quickly became an international collaboration. Uh, there was Thai military and civil authorities, Americans and Australians, um, Japanese, Chinese, Myanmar, and from Laos. They all knew they had to get some of the water out of the cave. So they diverted streams to slow the flood going in. And they got massive pumps, which sucked out millions of litres of water, redirecting the water into rice fields of farmers. Um, none of the farmers complained, uh, saying they could always grow crops the next year. And that the rescue of the boys was much more important. Oh, them do you know I was actually thinking like in my head I was like this probably sounds silly but like imagine just a giant pump and you drive pump the water and they did that (laughs) they literally like engineers like they all kind of rallied together and was like this is how we're gonna try get some of the water out and they just kind of pumped it out to farms next door oh wow um, which of course killed the crops but they were like, all good guys, keep yes. going. Oh, wow. The sacrifice is amazing. Yeah. Okay, okay. Um, so, meanwhile, the divers were slowly yet purposefully trying to swim deeper into the cave, and the boys still had not been found. Uh, one of the divers on the team, the rescue team, described the slow but persistent rescue to find the boys and the coach. He said... There was this really strong outflow, and at the beginning, we were advancing maybe 100 meters a day in zero visibility, fighting the current. And then there are parts where you have to climb up, dragging all your tanks. I turned around from one unsuccessful dive, and I took out my line, and I met the British who were on their way in. And then we decided, we have to call it off because it's not going to happen. People will die, and we don't know if these kids are alive. Oh, wow. Um, so it was looking like pretty bleak in the first few days. Um, so on July 2nd, which is 10 days um, of the team being trapped in the cave and the ninth full day of the rescue operation, um, two of the British divers, uh, Valanthan and Stanton, made it all the way to a sandy rise more than two kilometres in called Pattaya Beach. They surfaced, but there was no team there. But they still had more rope um, and was very determined to keep going. So they continued using their reserve air supply and shutting off their tanks when they surfaced to save um, the air. And they continued on through an area which required them to swim through a narrow tunnel beneath low-hanging rock before they surfaced again. So... uh, Once they surfaced, they removed their masks and were assaulted by a foul odour. At first, they thought they smelt decomposing bodies. Because, of course, 13 people confined in a small space with limited airflow will create a real stink. But as soon as they flickered their flashlights, they were met with the boys' gaunt but smiling faces. 
there was a helmet camera video which immortalized this exact moment. Only one boy, Adul, who was 14 years old, knew how to speak English, and he edged to the water. The diver's first words were, how many are you? Uh, Adul replied, 13. Uh, 13? Brilliant. You have been here 10 days. 10 days. You are very strong. Very strong. So then, the oh. t- I know. <laughs> and they're all just like like sitting there kind of like in the How complete do- darkness. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Not understanding the divers either. No, but probably just like, oh my god, yay. Like, woo. Um, so the two divers spent some time with the boys trying to boost morale. Uh, then they left some flashlights with the boys and promised to return later with food. The soccer team wanted full meals, begging for pad krapau, a rice dish with meat stir-fried with basil. Oh, <laughs> but the please. doctor's orders were that they be put on a special diet uh, with yes. medicated liquid food, mineral waters, uh, and vitamins. So seven... <laughs> Bummer. <laughs> like, so disappointing. They're like, all I want is the fried rice. <laughs> the <friggin> rice. <laughs> Let me give me this <laughs> liquid shit. <laughs> so uh, seven Thai Navy SEALs, including a doctor, struggled to reach the kids the next day with food and medical supplies, but they got there in the end. Uh, the doctor and three Navy SEALs ran out of air on the way in, so they had to stay with the boys until the end. So after the team was found, journalists and even more rescue volunteers poured in from around the world. Um, A small makeshift town mushroomed near the cave entrance. Food stores were set up, where even the Thai royal kitchen staff came to serve free drinks and food. Wow. People started cleaning the toilets. Drivers offered free lifts for workers to get up and down the mountain. And a local laundromat cleaned the rescuers' clothes every night. Oh, my God. Gosh, the human spirit. Okay, that was really nice. (sighs) Yeah. Um, But then on the 6th of July, that's 14 days of the team being trapped, while on a routine run to deliver air tanks to the team, um, Navy SEAL diver Saman Gunan lost consciousness after running out of air himself. His dive buddy pulled him out and he tried to revive him, but he was not saved. He was only 38 years old. Oh, no. And they probably didn't have a defibrillator machine. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, not inside. Oh, um, no. So his death hit home, the danger of the rescue mission and the risks facing the soccer team. Yes, and Yeah. A Navy SEAL who had practiced for lo- so long and was so strong had died. So how about a boy who has never dived before and is malnourished? Oh, God. And what was worse, despite efforts to replenish the air, oxygen levels in the chamber had fallen to 15%, lower than the usual 21%. Oh, goodness. Right. So, so they, they are, couldn't stay in no, for very long. they are running out of time. Because wow. um, one of the, they thought maybe they could just keep feeding them for six months. Oh. <laughs> and just like leave them in there until... <gasps> Wow. The water, the monsoon season had passed, but because of the um, oxygen levels, they were like, they wouldn't last a month. Oh, wow. Oh, yes. Yeah. So 
would just leave him down there for six months. <laughs> six it's, months? That's chill, That's eh? crazy. That wouldn't traumatise them. <laughs> God, it's already traumatic. So, um, the rescuers identified three possible outcomes. One, training the boys to dive through flooded areas of the cave. But this was seen as, obviously, a last resort option, because how do you train 11 to 14-year-olds to dive in a tricky-ass cave? Yeah, Yeah. okay. Um, Two, pumping water from the cave and waiting for water levels to recede naturally. So that was the four to six month wait we were talking about. (laughs) Six month Uh, turnaround time. And three, finding or drilling alternative passages into the cave. Oh, okay. But like, Through that 4K of limestone rock? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, no worries. Mm -hmm. Yeah. other solutions included an offer of a kid-sized submarine designed by Elon Musk's engineers. Oh my god! Why do I think I remember, do you remember that it, like, circulating like, the hitting the media like him on Twitter? We can do it. There's some spy kid stuff. Yeah, everyone was like, "No, thank you." Oh, um, but yeah, wow. so that was uh, rejected as unsuitable. So there was only one solution: the boys and the coach had to be dived out of the cave. Okay. Um, on late 6th of July, the boys and their parents started writing letters to each other to communicate. Um, they were very moving, saying that they loved one another and that the parents did not blame Coach Ake and that he must come out safely. Oh um, God, I never even, like, considered that people might, like, begrudge the coach. There was, like, a bit of chat about that, being oh. like, he was the responsible one, how could he? Very negligent. Um, and there was some talk about whether the Thai authorities would charge him after he came out. Oh, wow. Yeah. But I mean, it's kind of like, okay, yeah, he like probably took them there and led them in and whatever, but he also kept them alive. Yeah. Oof. Wow. Okay. Continue, continue. Yeah. (laughs) So on July 7th, 15 days being trapped in the cave and also my birthday. Hey, yo. Uh, the Thai authorities announced suddenly that they were pulling out the boys now. Oh. Like they were just like, we're doing it. It's happening right now. Wow. Okay. Um, the rain had subdued out in the last couple days, giving the rescuers a rare break. Journalists and volunteers were asked to leave the cave rescue site and the rescue operation began. (gasps) Goosebumps. (laughs) The journey was split into two sections. First, from where the team was to the chamber, uh, to chamber three, which was a large chamber that the divers set up camp in. Um, rescuers made their way for hours through pitch dark waters that were bone chilling cold, feeling their way with guided ropes. At times they had to navigate sections so ridiculously narrow that they could only just about fit a body through. Uh, There were many theories about which boy would go first. The youngest, the weakest, the strongest. But in the end, it came down to a boy who volunteered. Yeah. So each boy was given a full face ear mask to ensure they could breathe and was clipped to a diver. Another diver accompanied them as well. Uh, A cylinder was strapped to the front of each child while a handle was attached to their backs Um, and they would face, they would, the, they were held face down to ensure water would run away from their faces. 
so like special harnesses were like made for this rescue Um, at the narrow sections rescuers had to unstrap their air tanks in order to squeeze through while also pulling along their precious cargo all in the dark the Thai government says that the boys in the coach were given anti-anxiety medication to relax but sources reveal that they were in fact heavily sedated and only semi-conscious to unconscious during the journey to ensure they would not panic. So that caused a bit of like moral conversation. Yeah. Um, and indeed the National Geographic interviewed the rescue divers um, and Richard Harris was called in not only for his cave diving experience, but also for being one of two known cave diving anesthesiologists in the world oh wow there are only two um and so at first he was totally opposed to this plan he said i didn't think it would work at all i expected the first two kids to drown and then would have to do something different i put their odds at of survival at zero. Oh goodness so like they were like we can't bring them out unconscious um and yet uh it worked slowly and methodically one by one each boy donned a wetsuit was given a xanax then injected with ketamine a heavy sedative that has the added benefit of scrambling memories so they're just like they were just they just drugged them yeah they just drugged them they were just like a bit out of it Many had to be resedated by the di- divers once or twice en route. <laughs> While many of the world were aghast when they found out the details, the boys were surprisingly okay with it. And who could blame them? It was as if they had fallen down a well filled with primordial human horrors from total darkness to asphyxiation, drowning to hypothermia, starvation to being buried alive. They were cold, hungry, and ready to see their families again. And they were incredibly brave. Not a tear was seen amongst them. Wow. So the second section also took hours, where each boy was secured in a stretcher and carried by a team of at least five men. At one point, they would uh, place the stretcher on a raft and pull it across a chin-high pull of water. At some points, the rescuers had to form a human chain, passing the boys hand to hand. Wow. So, like, a very, like, slow... slow methodical... Yeah. ...process. Wow. Um, all in the dark as well. Oh, like, it's crazy. So, one by one, the boys were brought out of the cave and were given oxygen before they were swiftly swept away in ambulances to the hospital. Rescuers took them out in three batches over many days, as they needed time in between to replenish the air tanks. So four were taken out on July the 7th, four more boys were pulled out on July 9th, and on July 10th, the remaining five came out. Coach Eck was the last to leave. He insisted he'd be the last to leave. Oh, sweetie. He also, I think I read somewhere that he like gave um, a lot of his food to other kids as well. See, he's not a bad guy. So by the time the last batch of boys and the coach were out, water levels were starting to rise again as rapidly as 30 centimetres in one hour. Oh, goodness. Um, so 
The boys were out on July 10th, but there were still people left inside. The Navy SEAL divers and the medic who had looked after them. So with the water flow quickly rising, they manically exited the cave. Um, and luckily, they safely emerged shortly after the last boy was taken out. But yeah, like one of the pumps stopped working as well. So like it was like hella panicky being yeah. like, shit, we've still got people in there. Yeah. Yeah. So eight days after the rescue, the team was released from the hospital. They'd been admitted into the hospital in remarkably good shape, all things considered, but kept in isolation as a precaution. Um, and during the press conference, the coach thanked Kunan, the Thai Navy SEAL who died while delivering oxygen tanks into the cave during the rescue. He said, we are impressed that Saman sacrificed his life to save us so that we could go and save our lives. So that we could go and live our lives. Once we heard the news, we were shocked. We were very sad. We felt like we caused sadness to his family. So, um, and immediately after the rescue, the boys went to live in a Buddhist monastery to be monks. Wow. Apparently it is common practice for Thai men and boys who undergo traumatic events to be ordained as a Buddhist monk for a short time, probably to like, to meditate and and just like get through the trauma. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, after the rescue, it was found out that four of the team, the soccer team were legally stateless refugees at the time of the rescue. Um, one of them being the boy who spoke English to the diver and one being coach egg when you say stateless refugee they like didn't they weren't a citizen of any state they like oh. ran away from a country okay and if they're calling them refugees probably because their lives were in danger yes right yeah um but they were rapidly granted citizenship by the thai government um, as Yay! soon as the rescue was completed. <laughs> so all th- 13 of uh, the team have become celebrities, commanding huge followings on Instagram. They've been chauffeured around the world by the Thai government, appearing on um, the Ellen DeGeneres talk show, traveling to the UK to visit Manchester United, um, and playing soccer with them, and appearing on morning TV. And playing in a friendly football match in the Summer Youth Olympics in Argentina. In addition, uh, there's been a Netflix series made, like a mini-series. A film was made called The Cave, directed by British Thai director Tom Waller. Um, And there's been a National Geographic feature being produced um, several made for TV documentaries have screened and they're has been at least four books written about this ordeal. And what I found um, quite crazy about it is, um, well, quite different, is the the perspective was really just from the outside. Like, it was really focused on rescuing them because they couldn't do anything as these, like... Yes, yeah, like, it's it wasn't... You could talk about how, like you know, awful and harrowing it was for them in there, but they just, all they did was just sit, yeah. sit together. Like, it wasn't like, 
anybody had broken any bones mm. and was, you know, it was, they were trying to navigate some, you know, t- like cold, I don't know, you know, yeah, it's like, yeah. it, it is like the story is more incredible about like the rescue. Exactly. Yeah. And like the expertise and like how niche the expertise is. Yes. Um, yeah. What was it? A diving anesthesia. I couldn't What's the word? It's the person that like. Does. That, yeah. The anesthesia. Right? The anesthesia. Anesthesiologist. <laughs> There's so many vowels in there. I was like. That one. Yeah. That like, one. What a niche vocation. Like. Yeah. I do this, but also this. Like only two in the world. Yeah. Like cave diving anesthesiologist. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. I I feel like there's something about people who grow up in a culture of like spirituality and like uh, what how else would you call that sort of like this sort of social construct like that all the boys clearly were able to remain very calm. Mm. Nobody tried to do anything rash. Like, clearly, um, Coach Eck was able to um, keep keep them calm and, you know, help them process and do, go through the meditation. Like, I wonder if it had been, like, <laughs> no, like, Australia or America or something. Yeah. Where you know they'd been trapped in a similar situation and you might have gotten the heroism or people just being like i just i'm getting out of here one way yeah. or the other like just yeah. because that that those the places don't upbringing. don't yeah. have that kind of same like spirituality yeah undercurrents that they like i don't know and perhaps like a sense of collectivism i'm thinking like it's an interesting concept to put you know, 12, 11 to 16-year-old mm. American boys in a cave, trapped. Yeah. Like, would for they... For weeks. For, for, like, yeah, 14 days. Like, would they be chill? Yeah, it's like how... Yes, because... Would they survive? Would they do West, something reckless? Yeah, Western cultures um, are like known now to have like disconnections from like co- that collectiveness yeah like it's very um individualized it's each man to their own yes. like when it comes especially to survival you i feel like in western culture it's pretty easy to just be like okay well i'm gonna get out of here by yeah. myself yes like kind of being like it's um all for me yeah like, a survival instinct is just, like, I need to stay alive. Yes. I don't, I'm not too concerned. Necessary. Yeah, not too concerned about the people around me, but I need to survive. Yes, because it's kind of like you're in a distressing situation, right? Mm. And everyone has a defense mechanism depending on how stressful they find that situation. And that's that whole fight, flight, freeze yeah. scenario. And it's like, I feel like in cultures like... Thai culture not that I'm I'm an expert or anything but there is like that deeper sense of like collectiveness and spirituality yeah and so they they didn't try like fight or flight like they all just kind of froze but Mm. it was like a 
I don't know, calm, would you say? They probably weren't calm at the time, but, like, It's interesting to think what they did discuss in those days by themselves. And, um... Clearly they talked about that rice dish a lot. Like, they were probably just like, I'm so hungry. Give me that basil. (laughs) Um, like, the fact that they could come out of it being so chipper and grateful... Is yes. like is crazy, and all wanting to like collectively join that mm. the monk, yeah, the monastery, the monastery, yes, yeah, <laughs> words. <laughs> <laughs> but like, it's actually an interesting concept because if we think about the story from last episode, yes, like those were two, were they Western? They're from the UK. They're from the UK, so like yeah. A, Western, yeah, yeah, Western culture, but they were like. I don't know, there was a sense of, like, we need to try save both of us. Yeah. Like, I'm going to help you, I'm going to help you. But then it was interesting that one of them was like, I would have cut the rope. Yeah. Like, oh, my God, imagine if there were the 13 boys were at the t- at the top and one was hanging out. <laughs> would they have cut the rope? They would not have cut the rope. Hey, <laughs> like, it's... Wow. Mm. You just never know. Yeah. I think it, it was very um, heartwarming to to hear the, like, very caring and human response of, like, the international community just coming together, um, giving up their time, their money. Yes, and the farmers as well. Yeah. And all the people that volunteered to, yeah, literally. to make that um, makeshift township, like, man, that's cool. Yeah. Wow. It's very heartwarming to like see the world come together for yes. 13 people. That's it. How are you feeling? Wow, just so mind blown. I just like I'm absolutely loving hearing all these new stories. Yeah. And being able to like share them and yeah. That's crazy cool. Huh? Yeah. Well, thank you so much. No worries, love. Episode 2. Done it, Dustin. <laughs> Thank you all so much, and stay tuned for next week. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. Bye. The survival guide. Hey guys, it's Olivia here. Thank you so much for tuning into the Survival Guide podcast. Melissa and I are brand new to this and we really appreciate your support. We can't wait to bring you some more crazy survival stories, so don't forget to subscribe and tune in next week. You can also find us on Instagram at the Survival Guide podcast. Once again, thank you, love you, kakite, goodbye.